This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Lena. All right, guys, this is your favorite time of the show. We got to rate and review, like, share, comment. Um, probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but it means a lot to us. So it helps get the word out. If you like it, tell us about it. And you've been failing, so. They have. Well, we're the coming. comments of Lena are not reflective of everyone on this show. <laughs> She's in as good a mood as I am. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, gonna, I just want to make friends with everybody, so you guys can just call everyone out. That's fine. Well, we're coming cricket-free tonight. Oh, yeah, cricket-free. No yeah, we're back indoors. Uh, Gotta love Wisconsin. Yeah. October, what, 15th? My gosh. Well, by the time this goes out, who knows when this is going to be, but anyways. Well, so we are... Enough of the banter, I think. <laughs> if that even qualifies, <laughs> it's borderline banter. banter right there. Um, well, we're we're talking about doctrine of scripture right now, so we can't. We're going to do um, tonight canonicity, spelled with one n. With one n, yeah. And canonicity is essentially the the uh, doctrine of how we got the scripture, the canon of scripture. Yep. I mean, so why these sixty six books? And who decided that and why? So that that's what we're uh, talking about tonight. And to begin the conversation, we have to start with a discussion of authorship, because uh, that is primary for determining the canon. So in the Old Testament, what's the first thing that we talk about? Um, are you talking about the prophetcity? There you go. Isn't that a fancy word? That's better than even canonicity. No, the prophetcity. The primary factor in recognizing the divine authority of the books was authorship by a tested and verified prophet, which comes out of Lewis and Demarest integrative theology. But it's important. It's yeah. that it didn't you just didn't get to claim, hey, I, I I think I wrote some inspired stuff. It had to come and be recognized as a prophet of God, and he had been tested. So it's just the idea that they were recognized, they were understood and known, um, because they were speaking the very words of God. And we've already dealt with this in past podcasts of one of the aspects of the declaration that it's the word of God is the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and and such. So they were writing in an official capacity as prophets, and they were speaking God's words. Yeah. So there's a, a quote, which which comes um, from a guy named Harris. What's his first name? Do you I want to say John, but okay. I'm, it's been too many years. So, so inspiration and canonicity to the Bible, and he he gives a helpful quote. It's it's lengthy, but it's helpful. He says a chain of verses and chronicles. So we're talking Old Testament here. Gives us the tradition of a series of writing prophets in Israel. First Chronicles twenty nine twenty nine says that the history of David was written in the books of the prophets uh, Samuel, Nathan, and Gad. In Second Chronicles nine twenty nine, the history of Solomon is said to have written by the prophets Nathan, uh, Abijah. Uh, no, Ahijah. 
Man, my eyes are bad. Ahijah and Edo. In Second Chronicles 12.15, the work of Rehoboam is said to have been written by the prophets Shemaiah and Edo. Abijah's history was added by Edo uh, in Second Chronicles 13.22. Jehoshaphat's by Jehu the prophet, the son of Hanai. Uh, Hezekiah's by Isaiah the prophet. Manasseh's by, by unnamed seers, as it says in Second Chronicles 33.19. Uh, then the other kings are said to have their deeds recorded in the, quote, books of the kings of Israel and Judah in Second Chronicles 35, although the names of the author, authors there are not specified. So he says, we have listed here a chain of writing prophets from before the days of David to virtually the end of the kingdom of Judah. The old traditions of Israel preserved for us in the books of Chronicles clearly include a succession of writing prophets. Um, and so, so the point is that Chronicles gives us a record of the method that was used in determining what was regarded as authoritative within the right. nation of Israel. And that, I mean, I, I really like that quote um, because, you know, everyone's complained they have to read through First and Second Chronicles. Yeah. And, but it's there for a reason, yeah. man. But you got to work hard and you got to figure it out and see some. But then you get a little gem like that and you're like, man, you know, I was so busy in the details I didn't even know something like that. Yeah. But the point is... Um, this was through a line and succession of prophets. And then you come into the New Testament, you have uh, the issue of apost... I don't mean certain how to pronounce this. Apostolicity. Apostolicity. Apostolicity it is, is, yeah. Apostolicity. I like apostolicity. All right, readers, you can like and share and weigh in on this. (laughs) I'm going to go with apostolicity. Um, And all of this came out of Jesus having all authority in heaven and on earth, delegated authority for ministry in history to his apostles. The head of the church commissioned and authorized them in his place to prescribe belief and action to the church. No longer mere learners, but apostles, they substituted for their king, witnessed to his life, death, resurrection, served his purposes, and spoke for him with final authority. The apostles, authorized by their Lord, ministered not only in teaching and preaching, but also in writing. New Testament books not written by apostles were written by apostolic associates and carry apostolic endorsement. This, again, comes out of Lewis and Demarest's integrative theology. The point is, just as the Old Testament it came through recognized prophets here, the New Testament came about by recognized apostles or their close associates under their authority. And so, very, very important to see that, that these were not just anybody who could write, but it actually came from the hands of these apostles. And again, this goes back to earlier a podcast where we talked about, like in John 16, and Christ saying, look, I'm going to bring to you uh, and lead you in all truth. And he's not talking about uh, illumination there. He's talking about the inspiration of the Scripture, and so that the Spirit will work in them in such a way that when they're writing in their official capacity, they're writing Scripture. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. When you're dealing with can- the canon of Scripture, people get lost in the history and, well, you know, did the church invent the canon? But it's important that you go back just to the Scripture itself and understand that these these were recognized people by the church and by the people mm-hmm. in those days. So yeah, they, they held an office. Right. And right. therefore, when they spoke, it came with authority. Right. You, you see this actually in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, uh, talking about the apostles in particular. 
it says, uh, Paul is writing there to the church of Corinth, obviously. And he says, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. Um, and so Paul is, is making the argument that if anyone is a true prophet, then they'll be able to recognize his words as prophetically authoritative. Which uh-huh. is, by the way, a, a, a great thing he's doing because he's also smacking upside all the people who are ripping him behind his back in Corinth yeah. and saying that he's not so much. Right. Um, <laughs> and and he's, he's picking up on an Old Testament method um, in Deuteronomy 13 and Jeremiah 27. Um, the words of a prophet were always to be tested. Um, now, now, they weren't to just take the prophet as... Well, he's a prophet, so whatever he says is true. They're actually to test the words of a prophet. And so Paul's picking up on that here, and he says, look, if you're claiming to be a prophet, you're claiming to have some kind of divine authority, you will, by virtue of that, be able to recognize that my words are authoritative and are the commandments or the words of Christ. And so he is. I mean, he's well, and, smacking and, him a little bit. And he makes it clear it's not Paul's command it's the Lord's commandment, right. which is, again, tying it back to what Christ said, that the Spirit would cause all of this to come about, so that when Paul is speaking, it's the same authority as the Lord Jesus himself. So Absolutely. it's really a cool passage. Yeah, and then in, similarly in Second Peter 3, 15 and 16. Now, this is my favorite one. Do you, yeah, go for it. No, 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 read it. I just, okay. I like it. Okay. Um, it, yeah, well, it's very clear. Um, it says, therefore, beloved... Uh, or beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, and then here's the point, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Yep. So what did he just do? He just equated Paul's writings as scripture. scripture yeah. As they do the rest, as the of, rest scriptures. of the scripture. Yeah. So he just said, look at these letters you received from Paul are scripture inspired by God, authoritative. And it also understands, he also has an understanding that there is this body of writings that is considered scripture. Um, and, He's just including it. So you can already see also the idea that the canon of the New Testament was already beginning to come together as the apostles were writing and the the right and those letters and, and documents were being gathered together. So at the Old Testament was already seen as a scripture by this time. And yep. Paul gets into that. All scriptures God breathed, and he's making that reference. But now yeah. the body of Paul's doctor uh, writing is now just being gathered in as well. So you now have the bulk of the New Testament just by virtue of Paul. Right. Um, and here's Peter saying it's it's Scripture. So apparently Peter felt very comfortable in affirming something as Scripture as well. So, Which would be, which had to have been strange for him because Paul was the one who was untimely yeah. born. I mean, he, he didn't walk with them. He wasn't with them for three years. And so, I mean, just... I mean, he's Peter. What is he? The apostle with the foot-shaped mouth that they always call him. Just he. Yeah, they got, I I love Peter because I can always fall back and say, "Well, <laughs> yeah, he's but, my apostle." <laughs> yeah, but like just the the humility or the posture he had to have toward Paul, who was, I mean, it'd be easy for him to say, "Look, you weren't even there. In fact, you were killing him." 
<laughs> but yeah, of course, Paul would come back with, "Well, at least I didn't deny him." <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, a little apostolic smackdown. Smack You've talker. been to heaven? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I've been to the third heaven. What about you? <laughs> oh yeah. boy, it could get ugly, huh? Sure. Um, it, so then you get into the reception history. In other words, uh, how how did the church recognize what was authoritative? Now, here's a key point. Uh, it, it, you need to know that the church didn't give certain writings authority. Rather, all the church did was they had a process for recognizing the books that had authority. Right. That's different. It's recognizing these were authoritative. They did not impose upon those books an authority from them. And that's how a lot of people try to think about the canon is, well, there, we had this uh, council. They got together through votes and debates. They invested the scripture with that authority. It's not that at all. All they were doing was working out uh, to recognize those which already possess that authority. Yeah, which of course is what you see the Catholic Church doing, right? Fifteen forty-six, right? With the Apocrypha, um, they're just declaring these will be authoritative versus being able to recognize that there is inherent authority to this. Right, right. So th there's ways they would do it. They they would ask, did the writer claim God was speaking uh, through them? Uh, was a wi writer, uh, the writer a prophet or had prophetic endorsement? Did the writings agree with previous doctrine? In the Old Testament, did the nation have a collective conscience that certain writings carried authority? Uh, did New Testament writer, writers or figures quote the Old Testament writing, um, like Jesus was quoting Jonah authoritatively? Uh, things like this were the types of things that they were asking. Uh, when I read that, I was thinking about also, well, never mind. Um, now, along with that, you have this uh, some fancy terms that people run into when they're talking about the canon. Yeah. Uh, you want to shoot sure. for the first one? Yeah, when you're talking about reception history. Um, yeah, and the fancy words, the first one is um, uh, homologumina. Um, and so these were these were writings that were accepted by all, right. by everybody. Um, and so to, to begin with, 34 of the 39 Old Testament books were immediately accepted as authoritative. You know, one of them was that wasn't? Ecclesiastes. Yeah, what's another one? Proverbs. Really? Uh, yeah. I think I, I think we're gonna Song of Solomon. Oh, Esther, it's right Ezekiel. down there. Yeah. Never mind. I didn't um, know Proverbs. Um, I forgot that one. Esther was because there's no yeah. mention of God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so thirty four of the thirty nine current Old Testament books were immediately accepted, and then twenty of the twenty seven New Testament books were accepted. Yeah. So so the key point there is that the vast majority there was just no debate no. as as they were gathering to work through this, um, and then you have the antilegumina which were some books not immediately accepted. Um, these were regarded as authoritative uh, a little bit later on in history. So we just talked about them. Old Testament, the Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Ezekiel, and Proverbs. And the New Testament was Hebrews, James, Second Peter, Second and Third John, Jude, and Revelation. So those were the ones that there was some debate. Yeah. Yep. And then you have the pseudepigrapha or the pseudep pseudepigraphical writings. Um, these are books that have been, that were unilaterally rejected by all as not being from God. Right. And you can, I mean, they're fun <clears throat> to read, um, but they're just, they've, they've never been regarded as authoritative. No. And then you have the famous Apocrypha. These were books that were accepted by some. So let me read a, 
a rather extensive quote uh, from Grudem. Uh, These books were never accepted by the Jews as scripture, but the use of the Apocrypha gradually increased in some parts of the church until the time of the Reformation. The fact that these books were included by Jerome in his Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible, that was done in uh, 404 A.D., uh, gave, gave support to their inclusion, even though Jerome himself said that they were not books of the canon, but merely books of the church that were helpful and useful for believers. The wide use of the Latin Vulgate in subsequent centuries guaranteed their continued accessibility, but the fact that they had no Hebrew original behind them and their exclusion from the Jewish canon, as well as the lack of their citation in the New Testament, led many to view them with suspicion or to reject their authority. There are doctrinal and historical inconsistencies with a number of these books, and it was not until 1546 at the Council of Trent that the Roman Catholic Church officially declared the Apocrypha to be part of the canon. That's actually an important point, because a lot of people just kind of assume it's always been there and somehow those evil Protestants got rid of it, but it wasn't actually after the Reformation um, that the Catholic Church finally did the official recognizing of the Apocrypha. Um, And in response to the Reformation. Right, right. So, So, yeah. um, So, it wasn't no evil Protestants. And the books of the Apocrypha contain support for the Catholic teaching of things like prayer for the dead, the justification by faith plus works, and not by faith alone. So, um, that's that's an important thing because people say, well, how come the Protestants don't have the whole Bible? It's like, just go back and read simple history and... It'll explain to you. Yeah. It's also why, I mean, like, kind of a side note, it's why Martin Luther struggled with things like James, Mm -hmm. because it wasn't as clear on justification by faith Mm -hmm. alone, and that, and he was a little bit uh, anti-Semitic. Well, yeah, and... He was he was still very much part of the Roman Catholic Church. I think think we got to wrestle with the fact that he, I mean, he was on a journey. Yeah. And... It's easy for us, and I'm I'm not being a jerk. I'm just it's easy for us sitting in a comfortable chair in America to say, you know, something. But it's like we weren't in the middle of it, where he's literally taking on something that is a worldwide power that can destroy him. Right. Yeah. But it is why he struggled with it because <clears throat> yeah. he was he really the justification by faith alone was his deal. I mean, yeah. this is what he was discovering in Romans, and yeah. Galatians, and so on and so forth. So then he gets to James, and he's like. This seems to contradict. Yep. And so he's like, I don't, I'm not certain if it's yep. authoritative and part of the deal. So um, then you have the history of, of the Old Testament canon. Um, the, the Old Testament was regarded as scripture as it was being written. And that's important to understand. They were recognizing it as authoritative. Um, again, there was, there was a collective conscience within the nation and, and even the leaders of the nation as to what was authoritative. Um, so, so no one declared the Old Testament authoritative. But it was simply recognized as that. Um, and, and we already mentioned some of the questions that they'd be asking. Um, you know, does it contradict previous doctrine? Sure. Are, are, they, are these written by recognized prophets, so on and so forth? And so that's how the Old Testament canon was formed within the nation of Israel. What about New Testament? Um, the apostles were regarded just as authoritative as the Old Testament prophets, which, by the way... Uh, picks up on one of my assertions that the New Testament prophet is not the Old Testament prophet. I think the New Testament 
equivalent of the Old Testament prophet is the apostle. Others disagree with me, but I see it in, in aspects like this, that it was when the prophet wrote, they wrote scripture. When the apostles wrote, they wrote scripture, but that's just me. Um, we see uh, Peter considering Paul, as we mentioned, to be authoritative in the Old Test- as, as the Old Testament. And as the New Testament was being written, it was being regarded as scripture, just like the Old Testament. So again, you have that same collective understanding and grasping that this is an authoritative letter coming from the apostle Peter or Paul. Um, and so we need to be careful that we do not place too much emphasis upon the human element in deciding what is canonical, canonical and what is not. The early church grasped what was authoritative and continued to hold these books until finally in 397, the Council of Carthage affirmed what was already believed. That's important. They were simply affirming what was already believed. They weren't telling you, this is what you must now believe. So, um, another aspect when you're talking about canonicity is preservation. So this is a criterion for, or one yeah. of the criteria yeah. for determining if something was scripture or divinely inspired. And that is it was being preserved. And so we have internal illustrations, that is illustrations from the scriptures themselves uh, that bear witness to this. And so, for example, Jeremiah 36, 27 through 32 reads this. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after the king had burned the scroll and the words which Baruch had written at the dictation of Jeremiah, saying, take again another scroll and write on it all the former words that were on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, burned. And so here you have these words that, you know, the king is trying to get rid of or that, you know, that he's trying to make go away. And I, love I, that I would argue by probably spiritual warfare and those kinds of things, but God in his... Providence said through this man, no, record these words again. And there you have the preservation of the scripture. Um, in Habakkuk 2.2, you have another one um, saying, then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on a tablet that the one who reads it may run. So here you just have him saying, you know, record these things for more people and for length of generations. Sure. So it's it's more than just, me coming through you for this moment in time. This needs to be preserved for future generations. Now, from there, you get into the nature of uh, textual criticism. Um, and there's two types. There's the lower and the higher. Um, when we're talking about what's called lower criticism or textual criticism in the Old Testament, there's some things you need to keep in mind. Um, there are less number of manuscripts in the New Testament at the same time, though, you have the quality of those copies are of much higher quality, and that was simply due to the, the way the scribes, uh, uh, the Jewish scribes did it. They were extremely, extremely careful. Um, so the manuscripts our translators use are generally so accurate that we can say that what those manuscripts teach, God also teaches. That comes out of uh, Lewis and Demarest again. Um, and the way they were stored, right? like in the Qumran community, I mean, they're stored in a cool, dry cave, and yeah. so they're preserved for, for many, many years. That was a, such a huge find. Yeah. Um, and and I, it, it's fun because every time they discover something new, uh, it just keeps affirming what everyone's saying can't be true. And it's like, well, I guess we have to 
acknowledge that. Um, in the New Testament, it's interesting because um, there's this large number of manuscripts. I mean, literally, there's thousands and thousands of them. Uh, and there's a much lower level of quality as a result. In fact, you have some groups are found to be far more consistent than others. And so, when when you get into the nature of how the New Testament uh, canon is translated, and we, I mean, like when we look at our Greek New Testament, there's no that that's the result of taking all of these various manuscripts and working out what is a, what is correct and the proper rendering and it's it's a fascinating subject actually it's very complex but it's really fun to at least I did you enjoy that part of the seminary learning the nature of uh, lower criticism and how they did or did you have to do that oh yeah no, I no. thought. I, I, I liked I, anything with the languages. Well, I just thought it was fun. I thought it was it, it opened up my eyes to how careful um, we have these scholars who have labored so hard to give to us what what we can trust in in the way of our Greek New Testament. And so, when they're translated, we're not left to wonder. Yeah. Um, so, the whole point of it is that textual criticism has, to all intents and purposes, recovered the original text. Of the New Testament. That, that's something that people don't understand necessarily because they're looking for a way to not believe the text. But um, as a result, guys like Lewis and Demers can just simply say that what the New Testament teaches, God teaches. And so it brings us in a complete circle right back to, it starts with the prophets, the apostles, and works its way now even to modern day that we can look at these things and trace them all the way back. Yeah, have that much confidence. So that's canonicity. Uh, we just, I mean, we barely touched anything. Yeah. I mean, we <laughs> scratched the surface here. But. There are some good books. If they're really interested, uh, we could uh, recommend on another one, some podcasts or just on Facebook, if, send us a message. But, you know, there's no way we're going to get into a complex one. Everyone would be driving off the freeway to sleep. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully it's helpful. Like and share. Share and like.